0: Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. All right, welcome back to another edition of Coffee and Conservation. I'm Beth Baker, your host, and we are just digging into the middle of season two. So here today, we've got Mason Thomas, and this is pretty exciting because he is actually uh, working with our program this summer. He's an undergraduate student in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University with a concert- concentration in wildlife agriculture conservation. Um, but he's he's interning with us or working with us this summer. So it's really exciting to have him on. Um, and he's also a producer himself. So he's adding value in a lot of ways <laughs> to this episode. Um, but not only we're going to get a little more familiar with his background, but he's going to tell us about some of the farm beginnings or how we got started in, um, agriculture. So welcome, Mason. Good to have you.
1: Thank you. Good morning.
0: Yes. Um, It's great to have you on the show. Um,
1: yeah, it's morning time. So I actually have coffee for the show.
0: (laughs) Yes, I know, when we are able to meet in person, pre-COVID times, I typically actually pick up coffee and bring it for my guests. But um, also because it's COVID times, I've already slammed my coffee for the morning (laughs) just to get ready, um, which was totally necessary. But yes, thank you for taking time out of your day and coming on the show. Um, Typically when I've got folks on, every, every time someone new is on, Uh, I always like to kind of dig into their background because I find it to be the most fascinating part of all of my recordings because I I usually learn things about the person that I never knew before. Um, So as we get into this episode, can you start with telling our listeners a little bit about your background and how you got interested in farming?
1: Of course. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily not from a, well, I'm not from a farming background, but, you know, grew up pretty outdoorsy and that sort of thing. But like, you know, my mother's in the medical field, my dad's a fireman, like, we did not, you know, I didn't grow up on a farm, but I guess I was 16 or 15 or something, Uh, my parents bought a place that, I think it's 45, 50 acres, something like that, that had been a farm historically, but um, it had just been getting hay cut off of it, and so, you know, my brother, I have a brother, that's four years older than me, so at the time, I was starting to think about you know, ways to pay for college and stuff, you know? And uh, I, had, my dad had talked to some people at work and uh, they had done, uh, they started farming a little bit. And um, so we kind of decided that was the direction we wanted to go with that. And uh, so I didn't really know where to start, but through the people at his work and uh, our neighbor that had been cutting hay off of the place, kind of pointed me in the direction of the FSA, the Farm Service Agency. So I kind of I called the guy out of the boomble office up there and uh, had a million questions with no idea what to you know where to really start and went in there and sat down with him uh, for probably an hour and a half and he answered all my questions and got me pointed in the direction of a beginning farmer loan that they do. It's one of their programs. I don't know how familiar listeners are with that, but uh, basically it's a up to $50,000 loan. It does not have to be that high. Uh, You have very low interest rates and it's only a seven year term for the loan, uh, but your payments are only once a year. So it kind of coincides with, you know, when you carry animals off to sale or, you know, that sort of thing. So you can, you don't have to worry about making a, a monthly payment. Uh, So that was, that's pretty much how it started. I started with, I think we bought six cows and borrowed a bull from one of his coworkers. And it's just been kind of growing ever since. Now I've, since then I've gotten two other loans. Uh, I've paid the first one off, but have gotten two others. And now we're, we keep around 30 cows. Uh, It's a cow calf operation. So keep around 30 cows, 25, 30 cows. So we're most of the year, we have 50 or 60 animals on the place. Um, that's
0: yeah, that's wild. Thank you for explaining that so thoroughly, like how you really um, got started and even the process of loans you took out, because I think that process can be really um kind of ominous for some yeah. for some folks. It seems like becoming a farmer, if you don't come from a direct farm family, can, can seem like, oh no, I can't do that. I don't have a farming background. Right. First of all, there's kind of that first psychological barrier. But then the next barrier is, well, how do I finance it? And if I'm mm. starting, how, how does all that work? Because the USDA, and their offices between NRCS, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, and as you mentioned, FSA, the Farm Service Agency, have incredible resources for farmers, but because navigating those different (laughs) avenues can be a little daunting, if you don't go into the office like you did and ask questions and even sometimes ask people what questions to ask, you don't really know where to start. So you really, you know, even just in sharing that little bit about how about how you got started kind of distilled the simplicity of it. If you if you start building these these relationships and having people in those positions in the offices that are helping you and guiding you um, into kind of the best options to find resources technically and financially to get started on the ground. And that beginning farmer loan is one of those great resources. And so how, how do you not only, you know, become eligible to get that loan, get it, as you mentioned, you paid it off already. Um, and you know, I won't ask you, I won't ask you for any dollar information, but how old are you?
1: I'm 24 right now. I turned 24 in May.
0: Okay. So how old were you when you went into the office and got this
1: loan? I believe I was, I was either 17 or 18. I can't remember. I'm not sure if, I think I was 17 actually. Cause there's not a, there's not a minimum age for it. Uh, you just,
0: you'd have to have like a parent co-sign or co-contract I don't, with you.
1: I may have at the time. I really don't remember. Uh, yeah, I really can't remember. Uh, it's okay.
0: It's okay if you can't remember, I just find it. I mean, that in itself is fascinating because that process can be daunting. For folks that have been around farming, for folks that have taken out other loans before, but I, I think you know, for plenty of seventeen-year-olds, seventeen-year-olds, the idea of essentially taking out a loan and starting a business is not on their radar. So that's pretty incredible that you know you navigated that successfully. We're brave enough to ask you know some tough questions and and do some math and and start small, as you mentioned, just. What seven animals at the beginning? Six animals, yeah, and now
1: fifty
0: to sixty. Um, really, and you like the way you say the way you explained it is just like, yep, this is how it went. But I think to someone listening, that whole idea of becoming a farmer and starting it in that way would really seem like almost impossible to some extent. So uh, you know the way you the way you explained it was perfect. Um, so you mentioned FSA and getting into the office, um, and talking with some folks. So tell us more about some of the resources or mentors that you had, or, or even just <coughs> how you asked questions. Cause undoubtedly, if you didn't come from a farming background and hadn't, and hadn't had livestock before, um, where'd you start finding information and, you know, and who'd you start asking questions to?
1: Okay, yeah. Uh, so, like I said, the first person that we really talked to was, uh, well, several people were people that my dad had worked with that uh, actually have their own farms. And from there, we started talking to uh, our neighbor that had been cutting hay off the place, which he's, he's been probably the biggest resource for the whole thing of, you know, non-governmental.
0: Uh, does he re- farm too? Or just, he or does. Just- Okay. Does he, he has animals too? Yes, ma'am. So he was cutting the hay for his animals at
1: the time. Gotcha. And uh, just because the people that had lived on our place had not been doing anything with it. Um, But his name is Ricky. He was actually a a retired game warden from Tishmear County. Uh, But yeah, he, uh, we actually cut hay with him now. We kind of share responsibilities for that. So that saves a lot of money having to buy, you know, either plant winter forages or, buy hay or cut our own hay. So that's really been helpful with that. And he's kind of, he's really at the beginning, whenever we were so green and didn't really know, you know, more or less anything about farming, he was really, really helpful as the as far as the day-to-day operational stuff went. Um, but yeah, so the, uh, the FSA, uh, I went to the, I'm from Tissingale County. I don't think I mentioned that before. Uh, so we're very Northeast. It's, Far northeast as you can get in Mississippi,
0: and uh, that's where the land parcel is. That too? is, yes, ma'am. Okay.
1: Uh, so the nearest FSA office was in Boonville, and that's the one that I went to there. And uh, there's an NRCS office, of course, in the same USDA building. And yeah, like I said, the guy in the office' his name is Matthew Puckett. He uh, I feel like I should give him a shout out because he was. <laughs> he should. <laughs> he, it's he, so yeah.
0: nice when when folks in those offices are really helpful.
1: Yes, now I've, I've probably talked to him for eight hours, you know, every six months, so he's been he's been really helpful with that, uh, and then the NRCS guys, um, I've worked with them out of Corinth and Boomville, uh getting in some of the programs we've been getting into. Uh, we can get into that later if you want. I don't know when you...
0: Yeah, no, we can jump right into it. I feel like... I... I was gonna ask about the region you're farming in. So, but you you laid that out in Northeast Mississippi. Um, and I think that was, oh, you mentioned equipment. Um, mm. So obviously um, when you finance a, a farm operation, there's a lot of different things that the money can go to. What are some of the things that you had to really have right off the bat in terms of either figuring right. out what kind of forage you're gonna do? Was it just put towards in- acquiring animals or also equipment or something, you know, soil amendments. Tell our listeners a little bit more about that process.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I would say, mm, most of the money or all the money from the the loan went to cows. Okay. Um, fencing, we ran uh, four strands of electric uh, just cause it's easier to deal with than barbed wire. Um, and that was, That wasn't just a terrible chunk of money but it was you know it makes a makes a difference the money for that uh then as far as facilities and equipment uh tractor uh we had actually borrowed a tractor from the neighbor that i was talking about uh he had a spare that we could use for a while and then uh we have actually two years ago finished building our big catch pin. Before that, we had panels, just a panel catch pin with a, um, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, I actually, for a squeeze shoot for, you know, when you catch to air tag and all that good stuff. Uh, I actually, <laughs> uh, somebody gave me a jet ski and I traded a jet ski for, that <laughs> didn't run for a squeeze shoot. So, uh, I've gotten pretty lucky with, with stuff like that, not having to, you know, spend tens of thousands of dollars, like, some people have to right off the bat, but that beginning farmer loan, you can use that money to buy equipment. If you, mm-hmm. you know, you just have to say that you're buying equipment instead of animals with it.
0: Yeah. I like uh, I like how innovative you've been and kind of how, how some of this stuff has just come to you. Like you were definitely meant to be farming because <laughs> you just <laughs> created, you know, the catch bin, you know, the first one that you needed. And yeah, that, that's nice that you were able to barter a jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of your equipment so now you're seven years in Mm -hmm. walk us through what a day on the farm would have been like or like right when you started when you just have the had the the six or seven cows and you know with the resources you had at that time Mm -hmm. and then just kind of to give our audience a sense of how the farms evolved over that seven years walk us through after that a current day on the farm. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll be as basic as I can with it where I'm not, so I'm not rambling so much, but yeah, the, at first it was more, you know, they were kind of almost looked at more as pets than anything. You know, we weren't really like really looking at the production value of each animal. It was more just, you know, I hope they all have babies, you know, us, you know, they're cute and all that kind of thing. Um, but then as times went on and as I've gotten more and that adds to responsibility. And, you know, if if all of them die, then I don't have any way to pay back, you know, thousands of dollars worth of loan payments. Uh, And it's kind of moved along as I'm moving along through college and learning more about these different things. Because uh, as you mentioned, I'm a conservation ag uh, concentration. And so I'm having, I'm taking, you know, a quarter of my classes are animal science classes or plant and soil science classes. So I'm learning more about the operation as I'm going. So now it's really, I'm looking at it more scientifically, I guess, than I did before. And probably, you know, not bragging or anything, but probably more scientifically than a lot of people do just mm-hmm. because that's, you know, that's the field I'm going into is more technical science. So really being more rotational grazing, you know, just trying to get the most bang for my buck basically out of the cows. Um, uh, Whereas in the beginning, it was just not necessarily all about the money, you know? Right. Uh, which is still not really all about the money. I enjoy doing it, but I've tried to figure out the best way to get the most out of each animal.
0: Yeah, that's perfect. Perfect, um, and so interesting. And it, I, it's really, I'm sure it's really exciting to see uh, what probably started as maybe like your hobby and interests mm-hmm. totally overlapping and intersecting with your studies. And we're not going to get too into that because that's the next episode. So don't go there yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so the last thing I wanted to, I wanted to ask on this episode um, was actually related to, to um the, the portion, and maybe I'm not even saying this right, but the kind of cattle farming you're doing, because folks that also are not that familiar with um, livestock agriculture might mm-hmm. not be aware. And we talked about this, I'm going back, one of the first or second episodes of season two with Johnny Ray, um, who's a, a, a producer, also um, just here outside of Starkville who, who does livestock. Um, but we touched on it in an episode with him that um, cattle operations are often, you don't, the whole lifespan of the cow does not happen on one farm typically. It's been, you know, split into cow-calf operations to, um, you know, the the middle grazing portion and then sometimes the finishing and um, selling portion. So explain to our listeners what area
1: of the lifespan of that
0: animal you're you're aiming for on the property
1: okay yeah so i would say or i would some people argue about it so i would argue that there are four main categories of cattle farming so there's the seed stock producer which most you know those are the registered stuff that they're trying to get the best bulls and best cows for breeding to sell to commercial producers and then we are a cow calf operation meaning that we have just commercial cows they're not registered Uh, we do have a registered bull that comes, you know, that's just to get the most, you basically can tell more about registered bulls. The only difference just because they have, you know, graphs and charts and. You know, more about
0: their genetics, their lineage, right. like the average size cow you might produce using exactly. that bull.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Uh, you, have, you, I couldn't find the words for it. <laughs> <You> got, <laughs> words uh, are hard don't worry. <laughs> um, and then you have the, uh, stalker operations, which, There, I would say there's not as many, but it's not as common as the others. Uh, Just because most people or yeah, most people sell the calves at the sale straight to the feedlot, which is the fourth set operation. So we're really just kind of the beginning stages of each animal's life. Now some of them, you know, if it's time for us to keep, you know, we're replacing some cows, keeping some heifers, then they'll stay there. But you know, for the most part, you know, all the babies are going to a, a feed yard at some point.
0: So you're on the cow-calf side? Is that what that's called?
1: Yes, Technically? Ma'am. Okay.
0: Yes, so team. calving and then selling those animals.
1: Yes, ma'am. But right. hoping
0: hoping to have them be the highest quality animal.
1: Right. Is that what you can? Okay. Yes, ma'am. And we actually have been, uh, you know, we'll uh, slaughter some ourselves. And, you know, we actually did that three weeks ago, I guess, maybe a month ago. And so it was a, we've been getting pretty good results out of the carcass quality, as far as Mm -hmm. we can tell. Um, Because that one was, usually it's around a third of each animal, you know, a third of it's, you know, um, meat, a third of it's bone, a third of it's uh, viscera and skin. Um, That's pretty common as far as for most mammals, really, uh, from what I've learned. But we've been getting... Now, a beef cattle is a little bit better, but we actually got a 930 pound animal. And we got 430 pounds out of it. So, of meat? Yes, ma'am. So, okay. we're doing, carcass quality has been very good for us as far as our selection of bulls and cows we keep. So,
0: that's great. And actually, really interesting because I didn't know that it was, uh, I, I didn't know that. um, that there was so much science around carcass quality or what to expect uh, meat wise as a percentage of the total carcass. I'm
1: not an expert on that by any means, but.
0: Me (laughs) either, but it's still, it's still an interesting antidote. I'm sure Uh,
1: somebody could correct me that's listening right now that somebody's going to email you.
0: If you have, if our listeners have anything to add, please feel free to email us or put that, put that in a a
1: comment box. I think that was the first week of animal science class. (laughs) That was about two years ago. So I may.
0: (laughs) Um, one other thing before we before we um, let this topic go about the operation. Tell us a little bit about the forage because you said you're cutting hay, but mm. certainly they're grazing at some times of the year. Um, explain a little bit about when they're grazing and when they're not,
1: <coughs> and then what type of forage you're um, currently into. Okay, yeah, so we have not planted a single thing as far as animal forage. We have inherited all the grasses there. Uh, it was kind of weedy when we got there just because it hasn't been grazed that much and grazing pressure really helps get away with weeds. But the majority of it is, um, bahia grass, Bermuda grass and some fescue a little bit mixed in, which is great for cows, but I'm sure we'll get into it in the next episode. Not great for wildlife. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, and then we cut hay with the help of our neighbor. Um, if we didn't, have the help cutting hay and, you know, the ability to do that for next to no cost, then our region is so conducive to planting winter forages. Since we have a warm winter, we, you know, it's not, it snows a day a winter. We didn't even snow last year, but I mean, we can grow winter forages all the time. So that would be, that would be the way that I went with that. If we didn't have hay, I would plant uh, ryegrass. I'd plant ryegrass mm-hmm. in the wintertime. Or something, you know, winter wheat or something. But as of right now, we've just been growing warm season forages and feeding hay in the wintertime with a little, little supplemental feeding as we need to. Yeah,
0: that makes perfect sense. Okay, so we know a little bit about the operation. And when we come back on the next episode, we're going to get into more of that intersection of, of your producer life with your <laughs> academic life. But thank you for coming You're on the fine.
1: show. Thanks for having me.
0: As always, you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show. And we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor, the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service, for their support of this podcast. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at REACH.com. Dot .msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at
1: extension.msstate.edu